When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Three, two, one. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer. Jim Calhoun, NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here. Welcome we. in, everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he's so the podcast of Swimming America, the Air Tour Sports Podcast. It is Wednesday night, April 7th, 2021, people. And I'm not going to lie. I thought this was going to be a nice, easy, off-season podcast. I'll talk a little bit about my way-too-early top 25, do some transfer stuff. No, 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 no. The University of Arizona has other plans as Sean Miller is fired after 12 seasons at the school. And obviously, we know what it's all about. The, the, The FBI investigation, which led to an NCAA investigation, I'll get you kind of caught up on what happened, how it went down, why the decision was made today, why I think it was idiotic, by the way, to fire Sean Miller at this exact moment in time. Not saying he should have been the coach forever, got the Bill Self lifetime contract, but I don't think this was the right decision for right now, which obviously will lead into a short conversation about who the candidates are at the University of Arizona and who actually might be willing to take this job given the circumstances that the school finds themselves in. We'll take a quick break, come back. We will talk about some other news from across college hoops, the fun stuff that I was planning on leading the show with, my way too early top 25 for next year, and of course an updated transfer list as the transfer portal is humming. And I will give you some names to watch, some places, some schools, everything that you need to know about the current transfer portal in college basketball. But first, let's get to the big story in college basketball. I just told you a moment ago, but... Sean Miller has been fired at Arizona. This kind of sort of brings to a conclusion just this wild, seemingly never-ending story that started with the FBI investigation in 2017, but it really doesn't even bring an end to it because of the fact that the, the NCAA investigation into Arizona is still ongoing, but Sean Miller is out after 12 years at the University of Arizona, and let's be honest, I think it's easy based on the way things ended to say that it was a complete disaster, but look, Sean Miller had uh, Arizona in the Elite Eight in year two. He had him in the Elite Eight in 2014, a game that I was at, one of the best college basketball games I've ever been at. They lost to Wisconsin by one in overtime. They went to the Elite Eight in 2015. Um, And so, you know, Sean Miller was a really good coach for a really long time at Arizona, but clearly he could not recover from both this FBI and NCAA investigation. And so what I want to do going forward is kind of contextualize a few different things for you. One, I want to tell you why I don't think it was the right decision to fire Sean Miller today. But what I also want to do is kind of just go back and give you the basic facts, the, the nuts and bolts of what happened that got us here. Because I understand that you guys are busy. You have your NFL team. You have your college basketball team, your college football team. And I think it's easy on a day like today to sit here and say, like, I don't even remember what happened at Arizona. So let's give you a little bit of background. Let's give you some details, some stuff that you may have forgotten to kind of contextualize why this decision was made today uh, and what it means for Arizona. And frankly, we'll also get into if they can actually get a half-decent head coach as their next head coach at Arizona. But look, it all starts back that fateful morning back in September 2017. It was so long ago, I hadn't even started this podcast yet. But we kind of get this news and this report that the University of Arizona um, is one of four schools that's being investigated by the, N- by the FBI. And we're like, what is FBI? College basketball? What does this even mean? 
And so obviously the day goes on. We kind of find out the details. There were four schools that had an assistant coach that had taken money, which the FBI labeled as bribes, to give to prospective student athletes, I'm tripping over my own words, slash recruits, slash players in the program. The four schools were, of course, Oklahoma State, Auburn, USC, and Arizona. Later on, we find out Louisville's involvement with Brian Bowen. Rick Pitino is fired. There's other schools that come under investigation. But obviously it goes without saying, Arizona, marquee program, they got the bulk of the headlines at that moment in time. Fast forward, it's kind of this ongoing investigation. Nobody knows what's going on. Nobody outside of Rick Pitino is fired right away. The big news, in my opinion, the big thing that changed everything, frankly, for Sean Miller in Arizona, and it was unfairly, was we get to February, everybody's doing all these reports, follow-ups, all this stuff, and ESPN comes out with this bombshell investigation that Sean Miller has been caught on wiretap talking about how he paid DeAndre Ayton out of his own pocket to come to Arizona. Now, it is absolutely worth mentioning, it needs to be mentioned, that that report was proven 100% false. If you remember, Christian Dawkins, who was at the center of that FBI probe, said in a court of law he never once talked to Sean Miller about Chris, about DeAndre Ayton at any point. He didn't even know DeAndre Ayton. DeAndre Ayton was from the Bahamas, was playing high school ball in Arizona. Christian Dawkins is from Michigan. Christian Dawkins is like, I don't know DeAndre Ayton. I would love to know DeAndre Ayton. I could have made a lot of money off him, but I don't know him. And so that ESPN report was proven to be false, but it kind of cast this, this, this picture of Sean Miller as just this rogue, crazy, out-of-control guy. It wasn't fair. That was also the week I should mention. By the way, crazy week in general. That report comes out on Friday. If you remember, Arizona was playing Oregon on a Saturday, and, and Sean Miller sat out, but DeAndre Ayton played, and it was like the weird, I think Bill Walton was on the call, and they kind of wanted to talk about it but couldn't talk about it. And it was just this very, very, very bizarre, weird, strange thing. Um, and it culminates a few days later when Sean Miller has his famous press conference. And he comes out and says, listen, I don't know where this report came from, but I 1,000% never, ever, ever paid DeAndre Ayton a dollar. And he said at the time, and I don't remember all the details. You can find it on YouTube. I've never paid a student athlete. I've never done anything wrong. I've never broken NCAA rules at the University of Arizona. And to me, that press conference was a very important day, which led to here right now, which is this. That was the day that the University of Arizona decided we are putting our foot in the sand, we are drawing a line in the sand, and we are defending Sean Miller and sticking by our coach. Wasn't popular, people didn't like it, but that was when Arizona said, this is our coach, we trust him, we believe him. Fast forward, obviously a lot of stuff happened, some good, some bad, some this, some that, but the most recent and most important thing that comes out is that following the FBI trial, now the assistant coach involved, Book Richardson, was found guilty of um, you know, of funneling money to Javon Quinterly. He spent time in prison. It was stupid. That man should have never go spent a day in jail, but that's neither here nor there. But on top of that, um, the most recent thing actually just happened pretty recently. Um, we find out that the, first of all, we, we get the notice of allegations, which for people, again, as a quick reminder, the notice of allegations is ultimately the NCA has come and done their investigation. So the FBI investigation is done. Book Richardson stupidly serves jail time. But then the NCA comes in. They do their investigation, and we get our notice of allegations. Now, I'm not saying it was pretty for Sean Miller. It wasn't, but here is what we found. Five level one rules violations, but this was the interesting part. Zero of them directly involving Sean Miller breaking any NCA rules. Five total level one violations. There was the failure to monitor the program from Sean Miller, which basically said your assistant coaches were breaking the rules and you should have known better. But there was nothing that said that Sean Miller knew what was going on and what his assistant coaches were doing. Did he know? I don't know. Not my place to say, but this is why I've always defended Sean Miller is because I believe that the NCAA you know, process should be no different than a court of law. People can accuse you of anything in real life, but if there's not like facts to back up that you're guilty of what you're accused of, then like you can't go to jail for it. And that was always my stance with Sean Miller. Not saying he's a perfect person, not saying that, that he should have uh, not known more about what his, invest what his assistant coaches were doing, but at the same time, like you have to have him doing something wrong to get him out of there. And you didn't, and so in my opinion, he should have never been fired. But we get to the offseason, and really over the last couple weeks, it really started to pick up steam 
that Arizona might not bring back Sean Miller. And I think this is an important point as to why it happened now. Ever since this investigation started, Sean Miller has basically not gotten a contract extension. And so I talked about it a few weeks ago on the podcast, but we got to a point this offseason where Sean Miller had one year left on his contract, and it was kind of this weird game of chicken from the University of Arizona in terms of are you going to bring back Sean Miller or are you not? Basically from any functioning, you know, anyone that understands college sports knows a college coach cannot have a one-year contract because you can't recruit for the future. You can't sell high school sophomores and juniors that I'm going to be here for five years, 10 years, whatever. Um, And so it was this weird thing where Arizona wasn't going to extend Sean Miller. Sean Miller wasn't going to quit, but Arizona didn't really plan on firing him. They planned on just letting him coach out the contract. And I said three or four weeks ago, I think that's idiotic. What I would have done is what I told you then, which I would have done, which is that basically I would have used the Will Wade thing. Will Wade, for people who don't remember, when he was on suspension from LSU, when he comes back, they restructured his contract where basically it says, if you are found guilty of any major NCAA rules violations, we can fire you for cause. We will not owe you a dime. And so if I was Arizona, this is what I would have done two months ago. I would have said, Sean, you're coming back. We're going to give you a two-year contract, so next year plus two more years. And if you are found personally guilty of anything, we are going to fire you without cause. Sean Miller, I can almost say for a fact, would have taken that contract because let's be honest, think about it. Where is Sean Miller going to go? He's not going to go anywhere, let alone a place that's going to pay him as well as Arizona is as the head coach. And so to me, that's what I would have done even then. Sean Miller, two-year contract. Um, you know, two-year extension, three more years. We'll get through this NCA investigation, which it's important to note. The NCA investigation is not done, and I hope I made that clear earlier. But the notice of allegations is the NCA telling you what you did wrong, but the NCA hasn't made their final decision on Arizona yet. And so to me, with Arizona, it feels like there were two really obvious choices to make as it pertains to Sean Miller. Either fire him back in 2017 when he's found guilt, you know, when when this stuff first comes out, or you basically say, look, we're going to ride this with you till the end because we're not going to fire you in the middle of an NCAA investigation because that makes no sense. And we're not going to be able to get a good coach. And if, if we can't get a good coach, what's the point of even firing you? I would also say there was a third less desirable option, which is fire him. Right at the end of this past season, remember, Arizona did not play in the Pac-12 tournament or the NCAA tournament. Sean Miller could have been, they could have said to Sean Miller the day after the season, you know what, this isn't working, but we want you to be able to move on. We want your assistant coaches to be able to move on. We want your players to be able to decide what they want to do. But this idea of extending it out a month, it makes no sense. And so to me, really quickly, Sean Miller is fired. I got a bunch of reasons why it doesn't make sense. First of all, it does not make sense because like I said, you spent four years defending him. 2017, you've been fighting for that guy since. Even if you now think he's innocent or you now think he's guilty and you thought he was innocent back then, here's the bottom line. You spent tens of millions of dollars fighting for this guy. Why are you going to fire him before the investigation's even done? Reason number two, he still has a year left on his contract, which means you still have to pay him a buyout. Why are you doing it now? Three, I should mention, it's worth noting, the team is actually pretty good next year. Or was supposed to be anyway. I said it. My, my top 25, I had Arizona at number seven in my top 25. I really believe that they had a chance to be good next season. They were 17-9 and nine this year. The whole team was basically freshmen. And it's worth noting, they were 17-9 and nine in a Pac-12 that all of a sudden, like, oh, wait a second. Now, the Pac-12 was actually pretty good this year. So to me, you're going to fire a guy after you spent millions of dollars fighting for him. A month after the season, the players, you know, you're going to tear apart the program. Um, You still owe Sean Miller money. And then it comes to the most important part. Who the heck are you going to hire? And we're going to get to candidates in a minute. But you are now trying to hire a basketball coach in the middle of April after North Carolina got a shot at hiring guys, after Indiana got a shot, after Iowa State got a shot, after uh, Texas, after Texas. I mean, you go on and on and on down the list. To me, it makes no sense. Again, fire him in 2017. Fire him after the NCAA investigation is over, which it should be done in the next year. Or if you're being realistic, just fire him at the end of the season. What I would have done, 
giving him a two-year extension so we get through the NCAA investigation, reevaluate from there. He can recruit for 2022. Instead, Arizona decides to move on, and I'll just be honest. It makes zero sense to me. I don't understand why they did it the way that they did. And I think Arizona's now in a very precarious situation when it comes to keeping the players currently on their roster on the team. And then, of course, going forward, it's going to be an interesting conversation about who they can actually hire as the next head coach at the University of Arizona. Oh, and one more thing really quick. We'll get to candidates in a second, but there was one more little detail that I do think it actually isn't little at all as it pertains to this Arizona coaching job that I did want to reference as to why this decision was actually made in the manner that it was. Um, and part of it is just what I always tell you guys, right? I like to tell you the story behind the story when it comes to some of these decisions across college athletics. And my understanding at Arizona um, and, and, you know, it's something I think a lot of people in the media know, but I don't know if any of them are willing to say it except for me. Like, hate to say it. I tell you how it is. That's why you guys like me. That's why you guys like this show. The, the reason this decision was made in the clunky, misguided manner that it was is because my understanding is the school president basically is, you know, an authoritarian. Basically, the, the, the athletic director at Arizona has no say in anything, okay? The school president, for whatever reason, made this decision. The school president went against his booster's wishes, who did not want Sean Miller fired at this exact moment. The AD ultimately had no say, but it was the uh, it was the president's decision to make this. And I don't know if it's because he personally doesn't like Sean Miller, if he wishes he was an athletic administrator, but my understanding is that he has basically shoved everyone out of the way in athletics, and he makes all the big decisions. And so, again, I'm not saying that maybe Sean Miller shouldn't have been fired at some point, but again, there's a classy and a right and wrong way to do it. And if you defend the guy from 2017 and you know you're getting rid of him at the end of this season, you probably should just fire him the day after the season ends. That way you can start your search, you can vet candidates, you can do all that that you want to do instead of waiting until early April. And I'm not defending the athletic director here, but it feels like if, if a functioning athletic director that could do his job had any say in any of this stuff, uh, this decision either would have been made months ago or they would have wrote it out with Sean Miller. But my understanding is the, the president is the one making all the decisions, pulling all the strings. I also don't think that it really helped that the Arizona women's team made it all the way to the national championship game because it gave the president kind of an excuse to put off doing what he wanted to do as it pertained to this decision. I'll also note, uh, and if you go to my Twitter feed, at Aaron underscore Torres, you'll see this, is that uh, the, the, the right around the time that the decision was made to fire Sean Miller, almost to the minute, the school president at Arizona put out a tweet basically saying, congratulations to the Arizona women's team, we're so proud of you, whatever, which felt like a real jab at Sean Miller, but more importantly, probably optically was not a great time to be tweeting at all, let alone about athletics, but I thought that was important, wanted to let you know about that. All right, let's transition to the actual coaching job itself. Um, and you know, I'll tell you this, I've done a bunch of these coaching carousel previews over the course of the offseason. And I have absolutely no idea what to make of this Arizona deal. Because first of all, when it comes to Arizona, it is worth mentioning, and I've said it many times on this podcast, I believe Arizona is one of the five best coaching jobs in college basketball. It might not be Kentucky, it might not be North Carolina, it might not be Kansas, and it might not really be Duke, but it ain't far behind. As I've said many times, Arizona is the closest thing that the West Coast has to a fan base that resembles Kentucky, that resembles Kansas, that resembles North Carolina. It is a big state school. Um, it's easy to recruit to the whole West Coast. Kids grew up on the West Coast wanting to play at Arizona. Um, most importantly, I think you have a passionate fan base. I mean, I talk about it all the time, but I usually go to the Pac-12 tournament. There is a reason that they call the Pac-12 tournament the Arizona Invitational, and it's because 90% of the fans there are from the University of Arizona. They travel well. They travel to NCAA tournaments. They travel to uh, preseason tournaments. They travel to the Pac-12 tournament. They travel to road games. I live in L.A. When Arizona plays USC, it's 80% Arizona fans. So they have a crazy passionate fan base resource and finance wise you can get anything it's a lot like North Carolina it's a lot like Indiana in that way but at the same time I think we also have to be realistic this job again for the hundredth time is opening up in the middle of a major NCA investigation and I just don't know who is realistic and who isn't there are some coaches that are just gonna they're gonna get a call and the click straight hang up like I I'm 
I wouldn't touch that job with, 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 with a 10-foot pole. Like, I'm not going to Arizona in the middle of an NCAA investigation. I think there's others that would sit there and say, you know what? Um, give me a 10-year contract or an 8-year contract and I'll come, but I'm not going to come unless you really give me time to rebuild this because I do think it is going to be a 4, 5, 6, 7, 8-year rebuild by the time we find out what the NCAA has done to the school, by the time the sanctions go through, and by the time you start to build it back up on the back end. So I think it's going to be tough to get some candidates there, but let's start with some of the obvious names, and let's start with the biggest name. Uh, it is a name that Arizona fans are going crazy over, but I'll say this. I don't think it's very realistic. The first one is Eric Musselman, the head coach at Arkansas. I say this every time Coach Muss comes up in a job search. I don't know. You know, I've, I've obviously talked to Coach Muss on this podcast, but I don't know what jobs he would be interested in, which jobs he would not be interested in. But let me tell you right now, I understand why Arizona would want to call him but I understand why he would very quickly say no and why he probably, frankly, for any Arkansas fan listening, is not a realistic candidate. Here is why. My understanding of his contract at Arkansas is this. He has a $5 million buyout at Arkansas through the end of May. Now, I think it would be smart of Arkansas to extend his contract, to get that buyout higher, to get it in the Nate Oates $10 to $12 million range so nobody can come in and be a candidate to poach him as, as the head coach. But listen... Arkansas would be owed $5 million, and I'm just telling you, Arizona, despite what I just said about all their amazing resources, I don't think they're in position to pay another school $5 million to get their coach. Keep in mind, Arizona uh, fired Kevin Sumlin in football this offseason, paid Kevin Sumlin $5 million to go away. Shout out to Kevin Sumlin, by the way, who's made like $15, $20 million in buyout money. But I think when you add in Kevin Sumlin's buyout, the fact that you're going to have to pay Sean Miller something with the fact that they just hired a new football coach, I don't think you can go to Arkansas and pay Eric Musselman, pay, pay Arkansas $5 million plus the two, three, four, five, six million dollars it's going to take to get Eric Musselman to Arizona. With that said, I do understand it from Arizona's perspective. I understand that Arizona is sitting there saying, this guy just made the Elite Eight. He has deep, deep West Coast ties. He was obviously at Nevada just a few short years ago. Um, on top of that, he coached in the NBA uh, at, with the Sacramento Kings and the Golden State Warriors. He loves the West Coast. He spent most of his adult life on the West Coast. And on top of that, the guy is an incredible program rebuilder. And if there's one guy that I believe could probably keep Arizona competitive through this weird transition NCAA investigation, it's probably Eric Musselman because nobody has done a better job using the transfer portal. We're going to talk transfers in a second. They got another one on Wednesday afternoon. No one has used the transfer portal better. So yes, Eric Musselman is a very logical first call, but I don't think realistically Arizona can afford to get him. The second call I would make is a guy that I've talked about a ton this offseason, and that's John Beeline. And to be abundantly clear, let's just put the record out there, because as much as I talk about Musselman, I feel like I talk about John Beeline even more. Love John Beeline, never met him, I don't work for his family, I'm not his PR firm, because I feel like every time a coaching job comes up, I'm hyping up John Beeline. But you got to remember, there's only, as best I can think of, one coach on the market that has multiple Final Fours to his name that is not currently coaching, and it's John Beeline, you know, within kind of the age range that, that you would hire a coach. Now, of course, you know, Jim Calhoun has multiple Final Fours, but he's like 75. So, like, uh, of the coaches that are not coaching, like, John Beeline's the only one that doesn't have, uh, you know, that, that, that isn't coaching right now. On top of that, here is why John Beeline is actually a unique candidate for Arizona. It's because of the fact that he is widely considered to be the quote-unquote cleanest coach in college basketball. And what do I mean by that? We all know, we just talked about it with Sean Miller. There's some stuff that goes on behind the scenes that some schools probably aren't very proud of. But when you talk about coaches that quote-unquote do it the right way, John Beeline has an incredible sterling reputation for doing it the right way for not breaking NCAA rules. Uh, CBS Sports, I remember a few years ago, polled coaches and said, give us the one coach who you know for a fact, you feel 100% confident that you, is not cheating. John Beeline was the number one answer. I've read stories where, you know, during the summer, you only get, you know, four or five hours a week to work guys out or, or have them in the gym. And if John Beeline goes over on a Tuesday by one minute, he won't let them into the gym the next day until, you know, one minute has passed on the clock and it's 101 or 201 or 301 or whatever time you're planning on having them in the gym. And so I do think, one, the guy's a huge winner. Two, on top of that, you know, coming off this Sean Miller mess, uh, you know, he has a sterling reputation. 
I think the big problem with John Beeline, though, realistically is he's 68 years old. And this isn't like Indiana, where I felt like Indiana, you get the right coach, you can win next year because the whole roster is coming back off a team that should have made the NCAA tournament. This Arizona rebuild is going to be a five, six, seven year deal. And I don't know that John Beeline at 68 years old is the right guy for this particular job, given that it's going to be another probably year before we know what happens with the investigation. And then from there, what do you do? So it's interesting to think about John Beeline. I don't know how realistic he is. The last guy outside of the Arizona family that I would at least consider calling that I think you might be able to actually get is Mark Pope at BYU. And you guys know I'm a big Mark Pope guy. Yes, he's been on the podcast. Don't really know him, but he's been on the podcast. One dynamic, fun, you know, crazy personality would fit in well, would be kind of an infusion of energy at a place like Arizona where, let's be honest, Sean Miller is not exactly a, you know, kind of a media darling or a quote machine or anything. Mark Mark Pope is the exact opposite. Two, I, I think he showed himself well. Year one at BYU last year, they were in the top 25 for for a good chunk of the season. I think they could have made a deep run in the tournament. They would have been really dangerous. Year two, he loses basically everybody, and he still made the NCAA tournament this year. I would say on top of that, he's 48 years old, which, by the way, makes me feel a little bit old because I remember him in college. But, you know, he's 48 years old, so he is a guy that realistically can probably get you through the next four or five years and get you out on the back end. I just wonder from Mark Pope's perspective – He's got a good gig at BYU. They're going to be the second best team in that conference as long as he's there. They'll probably make the NCAA tournament every year as long as he's there. I would call him. I would try to pay him. I don't know if you're going to get him realistically, though. Beyond Mark Pope, I do think at that point you then start to look at people internally. Not people internally, but people with Arizona ties. First name, obvious name, our boy Josh Pastner, The Shield. Because you look at Josh Pastner, he, he, for people who don't know, he is, has, is like has the deepest of all ties at Arizona. He's basically Lute Olson's grandson. He's not really, but he started as a student manager at Arizona, became an assistant coach, basically bleeds red and blue. I like Josh Pastner. He spent most of his career at Arizona. It makes sense. I'm just not sold that a guy that in year five, it took him till year five to get Georgia Tech to to the NCAA tournament. And by the way, getting Georgia Tech to the NCAA tournament is a big deal. I'm not underselling that. But as the face of one of the best programs in college basketball, I like Josh Pastner. I'll say this. I think it'd be good for this podcast if Josh Pastner becomes the head coach at Arizona. I'm just a little, you know, I mean, he's basically been a high major coach if you include Memphis, which is one of the best non-power six jobs in America. You know, he's been been a high major coach for about 11, 12 years now. I think 12 years. He got hired the same year that Sean Miller did at Memphis. He's made three NCAA tournaments. I think he's won two NCAA tournament games. I mean, that doesn't feel like an Arizona coach to me. Uh, I would say another guy in the tree that I actually do like, another guy that we had on this podcast during the pandemic is Damon Stoudemire. Like Damon Stoudemire to me is the one that if you just look at his resume, you kind of say, I don't know, Damon Stoudemire. This is now his fifth year. He was the head coach. First of all, for people who don't know, Damon Stoudemire played at the University of Arizona during those great runs that Lute Olsen had. On top of that, um, Damon Stoudemire played in the NBA forever, uh, and he's been the head coach at Pacific, which is a school in the same conference as Gonzaga and BYU over the last five years. Now, you look at his resume, it does not look that impressive. What I would say is, though, year four, he won conference coach of the year, uh, and that's a really tough conference for anybody other than Gonzaga and Baylor, or Gonzaga and, Baylor, Gonzaga and BYU to really build a program in. It is just so hard because Gonzaga and BYU are basically high major programs in a low major conference, right? BYU plays in an 18,000 seat arena. Gonzaga plays in a, you know, 14, 15,000 seat arena. They charter, they play all these crazy out of conference games. They play in Maui, they play, uh, they're playing Duke next year. So you're basically competing with a two high major uh, programs in your conference if you're Damon Stoudemire. I think he would actually be really good if he got that opportunity. And I don't know how Arizona fans feel about it. Arizona fans, you guys listen to this show. Get in my DMs. Get in my mentions. You know, leave a rating and review. Let me know if you would like Damon Stoudemire. The last guy, interesting guy, speaking of former Arizona stars, Miles Simon. You know, Miles Simon, for people who don't know, was the star of the 97 National Championship team, the only school title in school history from Arizona's perspective. But on top of that, um, you know, he's, he's, he's had some time in college basketball. He was an assistant under Lute Olson for a few years, worked at ESPN for a few years, and now he works with the Lakers. My only concern with Miles Simon, 
I, you know, he's kind of done some AAU stuff. He's coached at the NBA. I'm just very nervous about bringing a guy down from the NBA that hasn't really been around college basketball and in the middle of the rebuild that Arizona is going to have to go through. I think it's one thing if you're Indiana, if it's Mike Woodson, my boy Mike Woodson, who I'm, I'm in love with all of a sudden, but it's one thing if it's Mike Woodson, and it's kind of one of those deals where, you know, you can retain most of the team. There's no NCAA investigation. You bring in all of the former assistant coaches. Like, that is salvageable for Mike Woodson. I do worry a little bit about it from Miles Simon's perspective because of the fact that, you know, he hasn't been around college basketball, and this is going to be a major, major, major rebuild. So those are the candidates at Arizona, and obviously it goes without saying. We'll keep you updated. Um, if I was being realistic, I would say outside of the family, I think Mark Pope is the most obvious name. I think inside the family, I think Josh Pastner is going to fight to get that job. I would go after Damon Stoudemire personally. I think he's a really sharp guy. But again, we will wait and see with that, and I'll keep you updated as things go forward. All right, I think that's it for this segment of the Aaron Torres podcast. Uh, yeah, who knew we were going to do 28 minutes on Arizona basketball today? Not your boy, I'll tell you that much. But I'm going to take a quick break. I will come back. I will talk about my way-too-early top 25, which already needs to be adjusted thanks to Arizona. Um, and I will also talk about the transfer stuff as the transfer portal is humming. I will be back momentarily. All right, everybody. Uh, I am back. And, yeah, like I said, uh, I was not really anticipating doing 28 minutes off the top on – Arizona basketball, but obviously the Sean Miller news happens. We just talked about it. We talked about potential replacements. I should mention, by the way, there is one replacement, a guy that Arizona could hire that I did not mention that I probably should, and that is Tommy Lloyd, who is the lead assistant at Gonzaga, who is being mentioned as a real candidate at Arizona. Should have had him in my initial list. I kind of forgot. I'll be honest. I kind of threw it together really quickly as I was getting ready to record the show. Tommy Lloyd, for people who do not know, he's kind of known for a few things. He's been Mark Few's lead assistant forever. He's been there, I think, 15, 18 years. He is the guy that is most noted for starting the Gonzaga International Pipeline. If you followed Gonzaga basketball at all, dating back to the Roni Turioff days, DeMontis Sabonis, who was an NBA All-Star this year, Rui Hachimura. Um, I bring all this up to say all of the international players, he is the international guru. He is the guy that gets credit for starting that pipeline. He is also, it's worth noting, uh, the guy who is set to replace Mark Few when Mark Few retires. Like, it is written into Tommy Lloyd's contract that he will replace Mark Few when Mark Few retires. And so if he is a legitimate candidate at, um, at Gonzaga, then at this point, um, you know, he's got to make a tough decision is does he think Mark Few is going to retire anytime soon? Mark Few is not even in his 60s yet, so in theory could go another 8, 10, 12 years. And if he doesn't think Mark Few is going to retire anytime soon, does he want to wait? Does he want to wait another, again, 8, 10, 12 years, or does he want to take another job? If he wants to take another job, I can tell you, he's been offered other jobs and turned them down, and so is Arizona now the right job for Tommy Lloyd? Uh, because obviously it goes without saying, we just talked about it, they're going to go through a major, major, major rebuild, so Tommy Lloyd is a name to remember at Arizona. But I do want to switch gears, because as I said, uh, this was supposed to be a fun show. It was supposed to be a post-Final Four recap. We're supposed to kick our feet up. We're supposed to have fun, grab a cold beverage, you know, and, and just talk about some off-season stuff. And so I do want to do that, and I do want to start with my way-too-early top 25 for 2021-2022. And for people that aren't really familiar with the way a way-too-early top 25 works, essentially it's exactly what it sounds like, is the end of the season comes, you guys as fans kind of just want a barometer of where is my team rank, how could they be, what is their potential going into 2020, going into the following season. And so every year, you know, a bunch of writers, you know, Rob Douster usually does one, I do one, Jeff Borzello does one, Jeff Goodman does one, John Rothstein does one, etc. Does a top 25 of what college basketball is going to look like the following year. Now, I will say, even in a normal year, uh, those things are impossible to put together because, as we all know, guys declare for the draft, guys declare and then decide to come back. We always have a few transfers. We always have a few high school players that commit late. So the, the, the way too early top 25 is always hard to do. But let me say that this year it was extra hard for a few different reasons. The first one is every player in college basketball, I think you guys know this, but gets an extra year of eligibility this year. And what does that mean? 
What that means is that the NCAA at the beginning of the year, they didn't want any players to lose eligibility if they wanted to opt out of the season because of COVID. Not a fake opt out like Jalen Johnson. I mean, a real opt out like you're not you don't feel safe playing and you don't want to play and you decide to opt out. And so the NCAA decided that everybody would get a universal extra year of eligibility. And so now when I try to put together a way too early top 25, it makes it really challenging from this perspective. You have no idea what any of these seniors are going to do, right? Because most of these seniors in a normal year, you play your four years and you got to go. Sorry, buddy. You got to get the heck out of here. But this year, it's a little bit different. Seniors can come back for another year if they want. Uh, some seniors can decide to go pro if they want. Some seniors can stay and use their extra year of eligibility somewhere else, like, say, for example, Kellen Grady, who played four years at Davidson and now is going to play at Kentucky. And so it is really hard to know which seniors are actually going to stay, which ones are going to go, and which ones are going to transfer. And so that was part of the way too early top 25. We still have a few elite high school players. Um, the NBA draft decisions are still coming fast and furious, so we'll wait and see on that. And then finally, uh, it's the transfer stuff. It's just a crazy, crazy, crazy time for transfers, but I still want to put together my top 25. And here it is with the catch that a few things. One, any senior who has not made an official announcement is off the list. So, for example, Davion Mintz at Kentucky. He could be a real X-factor for Kentucky next year. John Fulkerson, a real X-factor at Tennessee. But until we know for sure if those guys are coming back, I cannot include them on the list. So Kentucky would obviously move up if Davion Mintz comes back, but right now I have them where I do. Uh, number two, uh, that, That's the first caveat. The second caveat is any draft decision is kind of just a guessing game, right? I know Jalen Suggs is going to leave. I know uh, Davion Mitchell from Baylor and Jared Butler from Baylor are going to leave. But all the guys that are kind of on the fence, I just, you know, I do my best to guess if I think they're going to go or not. So Johnny Juzang, perfect example. I think he might go, I think he might go to the draft after this year. But as of right now, I have him on the roster at UCLA. And obviously, I'll adjust the top 25 as we get these draft decisions. And it's the same with high school and transfers. I'm not going to speculate which high school players are going to go where. I'm not going to speculate which transfers are going to go where. As those news and notes come in, I will adjust my top 25 accordingly. But I didn't guess which high school players would go where because I just didn't think it was fair to the rankings. All right, I've rambled enough. Let's get to my way too early top 25. I want to start by giving you my top 10. I think there's a couple teams that are going to stand out, and I'll talk a little bit about it, and then I'll go through the rest of the list. So my top 10 is number one, Gonzaga, number two, UCLA, number three, Ohio State, number four, Purdue, number five, Duke, number six, Virginia, number seven, Arizona, number eight, Kansas, number nine, Maryland, number 10, Alabama. That is my top 10. Let me get do a quick couple news and notes on why I have some of these teams ranked here. First and foremost, Gonzaga. I know what some of you are thinking. Torres, how can you? Did you watch the national championship game? They stink. They got destroyed. And so it's like, I get it. It was weird putting out a top 25 for next year with Gonzaga at number one after they get smoked in the national championship game. But I also think a couple things. You have to look at all the other rosters who may come back and who may not. And I'm sorry, but a team that just went 31-1 and and played for a national championship that could return a lot of their roster, that's going to be the team that's number one. And so when it comes to Gonzaga, I do have them at number one. It is under a few assumptions. One, Gonzaga is usually pretty good. They don't really lose guys ahead of schedule. Like guys leave for the pros when it's their time, when they're ready to jump in the pros and contribute immediately. Recent years, Corey Kispert, Rui Hachimura, um, you know, Killian Tilly, all these guys could have left early. They always come back for the extra year uh, to get better, better prepared for the NBA. So because of that, and by the way, you can read all this at Kentucky Sports Radio. The full list is pinned to the top of my Twitter page. But, you know, I'm working under the assumption that Joel Ayayi and Drew Timmy are coming back because neither are first-round guarantees. Obviously, if they don't come back, I will adjust accordingly, but they're my number one team because of those two guys, because they have a point guard named Hunter Salas coming in, five-star point guard that could have gone anywhere. He was recruited by Kentucky. He was recruited by Kansas, Creighton, whoever. Um, and, and look, I actually think they're going to get better in the offseason, but even based on who they have, I like them as the number one team in the country. It's also worth noting, like the guys that were their backups this year, our former top 100 recruits who just weren't good enough to get on the court. Julian Strother, Ben Gregg, uh, Dominic Harris. So a really, really, really good team at Gonzaga. They're number one. Number two, UCLA is a really interesting one because UCLA, they actually only had one senior on their roster. His name was Chris Smith, and he got hurt in the middle of the year and didn't play down the stretch. 
And so, in theory, UCLA could bring back their entire roster from this Final Four team. Now, it's also worth noting, um, I, I, I kind of sort of loosely talked to somebody loosely affiliated with UCLA this week, and I don't think that uh, Johnny Juzang, I don't think Johnny Juzang is coming back for another year of college basketball. It could, it sounds crazy, and I think there's definitely the possibility that he comes back, but like the guys at UCLA are kind of like, yeah, three weeks ago, we thought this guy was coming back. Now we're not so sure. I, I do have Johnny Juzang on the roster at UCLA. They would probably drop a spot or two if they dis, if Johnny Juzang decides to go pro. Also worth noting, they do have a wing named Peyton Watson, the number one high school player in the state of California, coming in uh, and would potentially replace Johnny Juzang if he goes pro. But I have UCLA at number two based on the Johnny Juzang returning news. I think after the NCAA tournament he had, he might have to go pro. Number three, Ohio State. I don't think there's really much to talk about there. They returned most of the core of a team that was in the top five for most of the year. Uh, EJ Liddell, their big center, could possibly declare. For, he did declare for the draft. I think he's coming back, though. He's about a 6'8", back-to-the-basket center. I don't see him declaring. Purdue at number four. Um, you know, kind of the same deal. They, they finished fourth in the Big 12, and they return everybody from this year's team. Um, and so, you know, you finish top 15 in the country and top four in one of the best conferences in college basketball, you're going to be in the top five. Duke at number five. Okay, so I have Duke probably a little bit ahead of everybody else, but it's because of one reason. Paolo Banchero is a freaking stud. And for those of you who don't know much about the high school recruiting rankings, Paolo Banchero is the number one high school player in the country. And I've said this on this podcast. Um, well, he's actually number two behind Chet Holmgren, but you get the point. I've said, I believe that if Paulo Banchero had played college basketball, not this past season, but the season before, 2019-2020, I believe he would have been like a second or third team type all-conference performer. There was talk that he was going to reclassify into this year, and I think he would have been one of those like Cade Cunningham, Jalen Suggs type impact players. So the fact that he's not coming until next year, I think he is going to be by far the best freshman in college basketball. I think he's a potential first-team All-American candidate. People are going to get mad. I don't think Duke is missing a beat this year. Virginia, number six, whatever. They're always good. I'm not going to drop them. Number seven, Arizona. I mean, that's definitely the most interesting one, right? I mean, they fired Sean Miller. I put out this list on Tuesday night or, or uh, Monday night. They fired Sean Miller on Wednesday. They are obviously not going to stay in the spot that they're at. Um, but, you know, but th they – I mean, the reason I put them there was with good reason. They, at the time I did this uh, thing, at the time I did this listing, Sean Miller was the head coach of Arizona, and they were set to bring back their entire starting five off of a team that went 17-9 and nine in the Pac-12 this year. Not sure if you know, the Pac-12 is really good. And oh, by the way, that UCLA team that went to the Final Four, Arizona actually had a better Pac-12 record than them during the regular season. Same with Oregon State, who made the Elite Eight. So Arizona brings back a lot of really talented pieces. I'm going to keep them there, but obviously, look, there's going to be players leave. There's going to be players transfer. They have international players that will probably go back overseas. But they're at number seven. Kansas, number eight. Bill Self, lifetime contract. It's ironic that, you know, they're right behind Arizona. Arizona fires Sean Miller. Bill Self gets a lifetime contract. They should bring back most of their team. Maryland at number nine, really interesting. Bring back most of their team. As I told you on Monday's episode, two great transfers. Kudus Wahab, a center from Georgetown. Uh, Fats Russell, a guard from uh, Rhode Island, who I think will be really good in the Big Ten. They're number nine. Number 10 is Bama. Bama does lose the SEC Player of the Year, Herb Jones. John Petty is gone. But they should bring back their top two scorers, who were Jaden Shackelford and, and uh, Javon Quinterly. Javon Quinterly I just talked about a minute ago with the Arizona stuff. Uh, and they have two top 30 prospects coming in. Charles Badeko, big center. Um, J.D. Davison, the top player in Alabama, really good high school player. And so, like, I think Alabama's going to be really good next year. Um, that is the top 10. Let me go quickly. 11 through 20. 11 would be Florida State. 12 would be Baylor, 13 Nova, 14 Houston, 15 Michigan, 16 Yukon, 17 North Carolina, 18 Kentucky, 19 Arkansas, which we'll get into in a minute, 20 Oklahoma State. So let's start number 11, Florida State, goes without saying. Flor Leonard Hamilton's a stud. I don't care who he loses. They're always in first, second, third place in the ACC. They're always going to be in the top 15 until they give me a reason not to be. Baylor, they're going to bring back a lot from that championship team. Matt Mayer should be back. Matt Meyer, I should say. Adam Flagler. Uh, Jared Butler and Davion Mitchell will be gone. But 
basically all the role players should be back. So I have Baylor at number 12. Villanova, again, kind of a system thing. I just trust them. I trust Jay Wright to have this team ready. Um, and then 14, it's kind of the same with Houston. Same with Houston. 14, I trust Kelvin Sampson. I don't care who they lose. I trust them. 15, Michigan. Michigan's interesting. They're, they're a fan base that not seem not to be very happy with my rankings. But look, their whole team was seniors this year. Now, they do have the number one recruiting class coming in. Uh, Caleb Houston is the name to know there, five-star wing. But they their, their starting lineup was Mike Smith, a senior, Eli Brooks, a senior, Isaiah Livers, a senior. Isaiah Livers didn't play in the tournament. Um, you know, I think Hunter Dickinson is at least going to test the draft waters. I think he may go pro because can he really have a better year next year than he did this year? Uh, and so it's going to be a bunch of freshmen and a bunch of transfers, and we'll see. But I like Michigan at 15, UConn at 16. What I like about UConn is the fact that their best player, James Booknight, got hurt. I don't like that fact, but when he got hurt, the other guys around him rallied. And so James Booknight is gone, but most of the rest of the roster is back. Um, you know, Tyrese Martin played really well when James Booknight got hurt. Uh, R.J. Cole played really well late. I would add Isaiah Whaley was one of those guys, a fourth-year senior who has decided to stay for another year. That is a big boost for UConn. He was huge late down the stretch, playing really well for them. 6-17 Kentucky, or 17 UNC. Listen, really good roster. We'll see what happens with Hubert Davis. 18 Kentucky. I actually kind of like how the pieces are coming together. Now, Devin Askew transferred just shortly before I put out that list, but still, uh, Kellen Grady's a stud. Oscar Shibwe's a stud. Dante Allen's a stud. And I still think, give me Calipari, give me a full offseason. I think there's more work to be done on the roster, but I like where the roster's heading, and I think they're a team that's going to move up. A team that will definitely move up I had Arkansas fans all up in their feelings, mad at me for only having them at 19. Now, it's worth mentioning, since I did this write-up, Arkansas received a commitment from a guard named Chris Likes from Miami. So, yes, I would already be moving Arkansas up the list if the Chris Likes news was official. There's reports that they may get another big transfer in the next day or so. I won't name names because I don't speculate on things like that. Um, but, you know, I had Arkansas at number 19 because... When I recorded, the only names that I know for sure are coming back, Devo Davis, Jalen Williams, the two freshmen on this year's Elite Eight team, uh, and they got a really good transfer named Audis Tony from Pitt, who averaged 14 a game. But J.D. Note, their kind of star off the bench, their speculation, he's kind of 22, 23 years old. He may just go pro. Uh, Moses Moody's going to go pro. Desi Sills is gone. So I had Arkansas at number 19, and their fans are freaking out. But I have at number 19. They'll move up with the Chris Likes news, and obviously as they get more transfers, which they will, they will continue to move up. Number 20 is Oklahoma State. Uh, Oklahoma State is a team that will lose Cade Cunningham, but they're going to bring back everybody else. They're going to bring back everybody else, and they're going to be really, really, really good. I am excited to watch them. Finally, we'll wrap up with the final of the top 25, St. Bonaventure, Nevada, Tennessee, Colorado State, and Michigan State. I'll be brief here. 21, St. Bonaventure. They won the A-10 regular season and conference tournament. Their whole roster, their whole starting lineup was was juniors this year so they'll bring back their whole starting five to a team that was an eight seed in the NCAA tournament this year Nevada shout out to my boy Steve Alford because he has done a good job replenishing that lineup uh, Grant Sherfield is probably going to be the best player in the Mountain West next year and they had two big time transfers Will Baker from Texas and Addison Patterson from Oregon those are both former top 50 recruits they're gonna be really good 23 is Tennessee. I like the combination of Kennedy Chandler, Justin Powell, uh, Josiah Jordan-James. I like all those guys on the perimeter. I think they're actually better than this year. They couldn't really shoot threes this year, kind of mismatched parts. I like where they're headed next year. 24, Colorado State. This was one a lot of their fans got behind. Colorado State, for people who don't remember, Louisville was the first team out of the NCAA tournament this year. Colorado State was number two. Um... And I really like Colorado State. I mean, they were the second team out of the NCAA tournament. If Georgetown and Oregon State don't win their conference tournaments, Colorado State is the last team in the NCAA tournament, and they're going to bring back their whole roster. Number 25, Michigan State with Tom Izzo. And Tom Izzo, I trust, here again is the top 25 for next year. And it'll change. It's definitely going to change. Gonzaga number one, UCLA two, Ohio State three, Purdue four, Duke five, Virginia six, Arizona seven, Kansas eight, Maryland 9, Alabama 10. We'll just stop there. You guys can go look it up on my Twitter page if you have more. DM me if you're mad. It's okay. It happens. And let's move on to the transfer portal. So, yeah, let's let's wrap with some transfer stuff. And it's funny, right, because I, I've told you guys this over the last couple of weeks, but 
transfer stuff, you know, this is the new wave of college basketball offseason content. And, and frankly, college football offseason content, too. I mean, I've done stuff on the transfer portal on college football on this podcast as well. But with high school players becoming less and less relevant, with some of them not even choosing college basketball, so many of these schools are basically choosing to do their recruiting out of the transfer portal. I will tell you, and I've told you definitively, there are more good players currently in the transfer portal right now than there have been in entire off-seasons in the past. And so what I've done is a couple things. One, I keep a list every single week on Kentucky Sports Radio. You can go there and search my name. And I do an updated list of the National Big Board top 20 players in the transfer portal uh, in college basketball. My newest list will be up on Thursday, uh, and it's going to be reflected very similar to the list that I give you in a minute. But I've also done it on this podcast a few times. I obviously talked about transfers the other day when it came to Kellen Grady committing to Kentucky, Justin Powell committing to Tennessee. And so what I want to do now is give you an update on the top 20 players currently in the transfer portal because again this stuff is huge these guys will all have impact in college basketball next year and my guess is I bet a lot of you don't even realize that some of these guys are currently in the portal so let's give you my top 20 you guys loved it last time I did it here goes number one Marcus Carr guard Minnesota Marcus Carr, for people who do not know, 19 points per game, five assists last year at Minnesota. Richard Pitino gets fired. He enters the transfer portal. What I will say is there's a lot to like. Whenever you're a guard who averages 19 and five in the, the, the Big Ten, that's a guy that could play anywhere in college basketball. On the flip side, he's not a great three-point shooter, 31%. He also gets a little shot happy at times, and I think if he goes to a big-time program, he is going to have to rein that in a little bit. With that said, it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, what happens with his recruitment going forward. He is a guy who has said that he plans on testing the NBA draft process. He is not going to commit to another college. Now, on the flip side, I think I heard Matt Jones from Kentucky Sports Radio say that he feels like Kentucky is in pretty good shape with Marcus Carr. So we will see. He is, in my opinion, the best player in the transfer portal. I don't necessarily know if he is anywhere close to making a decision or if he's going to play out the NBA draft process, but I love Marcus Carr and what he could potentially bring to a college basketball program next year. Number two, it's the same guy who was number two last time around. That is Walker Kessler, the forward from North Carolina, who is now kind of famous because he's basically the guy that drove Roy Williams to retirement. Uh, I don't know if that's exactly true, but there was a little report when Roy Williams retired that basically he's tired of the transfer portal stuff. He's tired of having to re-recruit his whole roster. And Walker Kessler was a McDonald's All-American last year, came to North Carolina, didn't put up great stats, three points, two rebounds per game, but he was buried on the bench. And there was a reason Roy Williams was mad when he left. And there is a reason that this guy is the, one of the most coveted players currently in the transfer portal. He's big, he's athletic, he can play in the post, he can stretch the floor. Uh, and I believe he's going to be a difference maker wherever he ends up. Up next year. Uh, the early reports are that Auburn and Gonzaga, two schools that he seriously considered coming out of high school, are the favorites. Obviously, look, you know, big guy that can run the floor, Gonzaga, kind of feels like a Gonzaga thing, so we will see, but he is number two on the list. Number three on the list, a new name. Timmy Allen, who played the last three years at Utah, okay? For, kind of guy that's kind of off the radar. You guys don't watch Utah basketball. I get it. It's my job. But he is first team all Pac-12 last year after averaging 17 points per game this past season. Another one. He's not a great three-point shooter, 27%. But when you talk about a guy averaging 18 a game, 17 a game in the Pac-12, in a scenario, keep in mind, where the Pac-12 was way better than we thought it was, and oh, by the way, this guy had very little help around him. It shows you how good of an offensive player that he is. Um, he entered the portal about a week ago. As best I can tell, there are no real updates. He did meet with the new Utah head coach, Craig Smith. I think he will consider returning to Utah. Uh, but if he doesn't, I think he'll stay on the West Coast. What I've heard, he's from L.A. Wouldn't surprise me if he ends up at USC. He played for the Compton Magic. The Compton Magic, a lot of the guys that played on the Compton Magic are at USC, including Evan and Isaiah Mobley. Evan Mobley will be pro. Isaiah Mobley probably won't be. So USC is kind of what I've heard, but it's kind of quiet. Number four, I would say, is probably the single most shocking player to enter the transfer portal this offseason outside of maybe Walker Kessler, and that's Adam Miller at Illinois. So Adam Miller at Illinois, for people who don't know, former top 40 high school prospect, was the Illinois high school player of the year, is a guard, went to the University of Illinois, and started every single game for Illinois. And so you talk about where we are with this transfer stuff. Usually when a kid transfers, it's for one of three reasons. Either he's homesick, He's not playing or the team isn't very good. Well, 
He wasn't homesick because it was his state school. He was Mr. Basketball in the state of Illinois. Uh, he was playing. He pl- he started every single game. And the team, you can't say the team wasn't good. They were number one seed, won the Big Ten tournament. So this was shocking when this news hit, especially because we knew Ayo DeSumo was going to go pro. And so you kind of expect, like, okay, this is the guy that's going to take over. He's a little bit of a combo guard. The ball probably won't be in his hands, but he's a really, really good player. Uh, top 40 prospect, like I said. As best I can tell, it feels pretty early to speculate where he'll go, but a really talented player. Number five, another new name, also from the Pac-12. Another guy you've probably never heard of. His name is Matt Bradley. He was the leading scorer at Cal if you forgot and how could you not forget because Cal stinks Mark Fox is the head coach at Cal and I give this kid Matt Bradley a lot of credit he had a really good freshman year his coach that recruited him gets fired Y King Jones and he could have left and he stuck it out with Mark Fox he gave him a legitimate chance but Mark Fox stinks the program's going in the wrong direction he has one one to two years of college basketball left and he said I want another shot somewhere else so he decides to transfer. He averaged 18 a game. He actually was a great three-point shooter, 38%. And I think this is a guy that could play anywhere in college basketball. Six foot four. He's not a super big guard, but he's physical. He can get to the rim, average about five free throws per game this year. And like I said, 18 points per game, 38% from three. When you are the focal point of defenses, that guy is awesome. Matt Bradley at number five. Micah Peavy at number six. Micah Peavy is a transfer from Texas Tech. One of the players that decided to hit the portal following the departure of Chris Beard. Uh, for people who don't know much about Micah Peavy, he is a guy. Chris Beard told me last offseason, he said, Aaron, I don't know what a McDonald's All-American is supposed to look like, but I don't know how this guy wasn't a McDonald's All-American. In other words, he was a top 30 or so prospect that got left off the McDonald's All-American team. But Chris Beard believed that he was one of the 24 best players in the high school class of 2021. Uh, Micah Peavy played last year at Texas Tech. Didn't play a ton, but he's a big 6'7 wing. He looks like an NBA player when he walks on the floor. Well coached. His father is an iconic high school basketball coach in Texas. And uh, he decided to enter the portal. No word yet on if he'll consider going back to Texas Tech to play for the new head coach, which was Chris Beard's lead assistant. No word yet on if um, he will actually decide to go to Texas and play for Chris Beard, but Micah Peavy at number six. Number seven, Trey Mitchell. He's been in the portal for a while. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on him, but Trey Mitchell is the number seven player. Went to UMass last year, averaged 18 points, eight rebounds per game. Interesting thing on him, he is a former top 100 recruit. He followed his high school coach to UMass. He decides to leave. The high school coach leaves UMass. So I don't know if the guy is, is going to follow his high school coach again. I don't know if you got to hire the high school coach to get him. It's an interesting deal, but not much news on his transfer stuff. But when you average 18 and 8 a game as a sophomore, you're really good. Number eight, really good player that I love, Boogie Ellis from Memphis. So Boogie Ellis was part of that famed James Wiseman, Penny Hardaway, you guys don't want the smoke recruiting class. Well, Maybe we didn't want the smoke because James Wiseman barely played. Precious Achua went pro after a year. Boogie Ellis is now in the transfer portal. Uh, this was a kid who originally committed to Duke, decided to stick with, Me- decided to tra- not transfer, decided to go to Memphis instead of Duke. And it was an up and down first year. He averaged about nine a game, but this year he really blew up. He was Memphis's sixth man. He averaged ten and a half points per game. I'll tell you, he's small. He really only does one thing well, and that's shoot the basketball. He shot about 40% from three this year. He had 27 in a game against Houston in the conference tournament. Um, And I think he's really good. He can only do one thing, shoot the basketball, but he can do it really well, and he will add something to any team that signs him. As far as his recruitment, I think it's pretty clear that he will probably head to the West Coast. He's from San Diego originally. Uh, My hunch is either San Diego State will end up signing him or possibly USC. USC was the first power conference program to offer him out of high school, so there's ties there. But I would say Boogie Ellis at number eight. Number nine, Daryl Morcel, who is one of those seniors that I just mentioned who has an extra year of eligibility, and he's got all his options open. He may transfer. He may stay at Maryland. He may go pro, but he put his name in the portal really good. He's kind of like Boogie Ellis in the sense he only does one thing well, except he doesn't shoot. He plays great, great, great defense. He was the Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year at Maryland this year, took a broken nose against Michigan. He is just a bulldog on the perimeter. I think he was the best perimeter defender in college basketball. He will bring toughness to any program that he goes to. Daryl Morsell at number nine. Again, we'll see if he actually plays college basketball. Number 10, Armand Franklin from Indiana. Um, You know, listen, Big Mike Woodson, Big energy Mike Woodson, uh, Mike effing Woodson, as I like to call him. Listen, I was wrong on Mike Woodson. Mike Woodson has killed it since he got to Indiana. He's pulled a bunch of players out of the transfer portal. He added Xavier Johnson. 
Um, Xavier Johnson is the transfer from Pitt. He added him late on Wednesday. And this is the last piece. Go get Armand Franklin. He was Indiana's second leading scorer this year. He was Indiana's best three-point shooter. And I don't think it's a coincidence that the second that Armand Franklin got hurt, that was when Indiana uh, started to struggle. He's in the portal. He has talked about the possibility of returning to Indiana. But Armand Franklin, we will see if he decides to return. But really good player, averaged 11.5 per game at Indiana last year. I'll try to make these next ones quick. Noah Locke, guard, Florida. Same deal as Boogie Ellis. Great three-point shooter. Doesn't really do much else, but man, can he shoot the basketball. 40-plus uh, percent this year. And he's got a long list of suitors. UConn, Louisville, Providence. He is going to end up somewhere really good and have a really big impact. Number 11, new name to the portal on Tuesday, Liam Robbins. Uh, he played at Minnesota last year. He actually only played at Minnesota for one year. Transferred in from Drake. Drake has the best season they've ever had, which you feel bad for the kid. But he still came to the Big Ten, averaged 11 points, and he led the Big Ten in blocks at two and a half per game. I don't know if he wants to transfer back down. I don't know if he wants to transfer to another high major, go play for Richard Pitino at New Mexico. But the bottom line is this guy's an NBA player. Really good, really good feel. Liam Robbins, number 11. Number 12, no, Liam Robbins was 12. Xavier Pinson, 13. Uh, Xavier Pinson, we know the deal, played at Missouri, second leading scorer. He entered the portal. It seemed as though it was down to Arkansas and Auburn. Arkansas has taken two commitments from two guards, Chris Likes from Miami, Audis Tony from Pitt. And so because of it, I don't even know if Arkansas is still in the mix. I think he probably ends up at Auburn. Number 14, another player that was part of that vaunted Memphis recruiting class, DJ Jeffries, originally committed to Kentucky, goes to Memphis, was actually playing well as a freshman last year, gets hurt, and this year he really struggled. He averaged about 9.5 points per game, but he's got a big NBA body, about 6'8", six, 6'9". Six, <sighs> Don't know where he'll end up. My hunch is he's from Mississippi. I've heard some buzz about Mississippi State, but that remains to be seen. Speaking of big wings, Earl Timberlake from Miami, could have been a one-and-done this year at Miami, but he got hurt, decided to transfer. No real buzz on his recruitment. Number 16, a guy that I'm probably higher on than most, uh, Rocket Watts, played two years at Michigan State, played off the ball as a freshman with Cassius Winston, was really, really, really good. Um, but look, Tom Izzo tried to put him on the ball this year. It didn't work, and so Rocket Watts has decided to pursue other options. Uh, almost committed to Louisville out of high school. LSU is in the mix. There's a lot of schools that appear to be in the mix with Rocket Watts, but I really like him. Number 17, Damari Burnett, another guy that's just been kind of hanging around, hanging around, hanging around the portal, was an all a McDonald's All-American at Texas Tech, entered the portal in January, and is kind of waiting to see how rosters shake out. I would expect him to ultimately choose Alabama, maybe LSU. His decision should be coming soon. 18, Christian Bishop. He was Creighton's starting center this year. Thought it was weird he decided to enter the portal. I thought it was actually kind of a perfect fit for him at Creighton. Averaged 11 and 6 this year. You know, weird list of schools. We'll see what happens. It's early. Jaden Gardner, number 19. He is a player from East Carolina. Averaged 18 and 8. Down to five schools. LSU, Arkansas, Virginia, NC State, and Miami. And number 20. I don't even know how to say this name. Uh, Stanley... Umude, I believe is how you say his name. He played at South Dakota, but he averaged 21 and a half points per game this year. And he is, in my opinion, the best mid-major player in this transfer portal right now. Early buzz is Arkansas, but I'm telling you, this guy's a high major player. He actually entered the portal two years ago and almost decided to commit to Arizona. Instead, ended up coming back to play college basketball at South Dakota. Now he is in the portal and he thinks he ends up, I believe, at Arkansas. Whew. All right, that's it for today's Aaron Torres podcast. I should mention, by the way, one piece of, of transfer news, really two. Arkansas did add a piece, Chris Likes, point guard from Miami. You know, at some point I'll do winners and losers again of the transfer portal, but Chris Likes is a big commitment. Um, you know, he's he's a small point guard. He's only 5'7", but he averaged 15 a game for Miami in the ACC over the last three years, I should say, was hurt this year and is using his extra year of eligibility. I like the way that he kind of matches with Devo Davis, with some of the guys that Arkansas has. So he was a big pickup. And then, like I said, Mike Woodson, shout out to him uh, getting Xavier Johnson, who was at Pitt. But, all right, for real, I'm out of here. Uh, so I'm going to get out of here. Before I do, please make sure you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres podcast. I mean, it goes without saying. Say what you want about Torres. There's no doubt I put a little time into this show every each and every week, right? So before I get out of here, I want to remind you, make sure that you're subscribed. iTunes, the podcast, Addict App, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, 
Wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you are, in fact, subscribed to the Aaron Torres Podcast. Make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. I cannot believe I just did like an hour of College Hoops content after the Final Four, but that's how I roll, baby. Um, Yeah, so make sure to do that. Rate and review. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram. Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. Shout out to Tort Craig. Shout out to Rachel Hates, my voice. I will be back on Monday with a new episode of the Aaron Torres podcast. Have a great weekend, everybody. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.